Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey friends, welcome back. I am excited because this week is the week. You heard me mention the TEDx talk coming up in Wilmington, Delaware. Well, this is the week that it is happening. I will let you know as soon as it goes live. It'll be a few weeks before it's actually published on YouTube. They'll have to produce the video and everything, but it will be coming soon and I will keep you posted. If you are trying to break into grant writing, make sure you join me on the Fast Track to Grant Writer VIP program. This is the perfect time to jump in because there are some cool new features coming out and some ways for you to gain real world practice to build your successful grant writing career. You can sign up and start today at teresahuff.com VIP. The last couple of weeks, we have been through a nonprofit fundraising series, and I have brought in experts on other types of fundraising besides grants because it's important to have a full scope and different types of funding, and then you can start looking at grants. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about lean startups and how nonprofits can adopt a quickly shifting lean mindset to make sure you stabilize and pivot quickly as you grow. And then last week, we talked with Kevin Fitzpatrick about major gifts and how to go about developing major gifts. Today, I have a fantastic expert to talk about corporate fundraising. I'm talking with Linda Lysikowski, and she is so full of wisdom. You are going to want to take notes. And I mean, she packs it into this interview. This is loaded with good stuff. Linda is one of just over a hundred professionals worldwide to hold the advanced certified fundraising executive designation. Now the CFRE is fairly unique in the space. Uh, Only a few nonprofit fundraisers have it, but you know, it's something that's kind of a specific designation, but she holds the advanced CFRE. So that's pretty cool. In her 30 plus years in the development field, she she has managed capital campaigns, she's helped dozens of nonprofits achieve development goals, and she's trained over 50,000 professionals around the world. She is also a prolific writer, as you'll hear, and she has received awards and recognitions for her work in helping nonprofits. I am so grateful to her for her time and sharing so much wisdom. You'll hear it and I would love to hear your thoughts on this and how you're going to implement the strategies that she shares with us today. Enjoy. Linda, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you, and I'm excited to dig in. Before we get started, share a random fact about yourself. 
Oh, well, here's a random fact that sometimes surprised. I don't I have so many random facts to share, but I have very large family. I have five children, nine grandchildren, 14 great-grandchildren, and one great-great-grandchild. And probably another surprising thing about me is that my age, which is 79, I decided to go back to graduate school. So in about two weeks, I start graduate school. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. That's so off to you. I'll probably down the aisle in a wheelchair by the time I graduate. But. Hey, that's awesome. It's never too late to start learning, right? That's I've always believed in lifelong learning, which is why I teach a lot of courses. So I fully I agree. I should practice what I preach. <laughs> <laughs> that's a wonderful example. <laughs> So you're a few years ahead of me, but I hope I'm still doing that when I get there. I hope so, too. (laughs) Well, tell us about your journey to this point. How did you get into nonprofit work? And maybe the condensed version since. Yeah, it's it's been a long time. I've been in nonprofits for about 35 years now. But I actually, like most people in my age category, there were no classes to go to to get a degree in fundraising. Uh, which you can do now. But I started as a volunteer, as most people did. I I was a banker for 11 years. And my, the executive vice president of the bank asked me once if I would volunteer to um, work on a business appeal for the university that I actually was attending. I went to school as an adult. I was 45 when I got my bachelor's degree. And, um, I said, oh, well, that sounds like fun, and I love the university, so I'll work on that. And when I got there, I found out, oh, my goodness, there's a whole department of people who do nothing but raise money. I'm in the wrong career. (laughs) This is really great. I didn't know people actually got paid to raise money. I had always done volunteer projects. And so I ended up working on their annual business appeal. And then as an adult student, I got involved in working on their strategic planning committee. They wanted a a full-time student and a non-traditional student on their planning committee. And I started getting really involved in the things that were going on at the university. And I said, I think I need to change jobs. So I sent my resume to the president and I said, after graduation, I'm gonna love to come and work here. And two weeks after I graduated, I got a phone call that there was an opening for an assistant vice president of institutional advancement. And so the rest is history. That's how I got involved in the sector. What an amazing way to get started. And, you know, I find it interesting. It seems like a lot of the grant writers and fundraisers I talk to say they kind of fell into it sideways. They didn't Uh intend to. They didn't get a special degree to get started. They just kind of started little by little. And so it's good to hear your story too, in that regard, because yeah, there are more learning opportunities now, but used to there weren't. And when I got started in grant writing, there really wasn't much. So it's nice that we have those now, but I also want to encourage people that just start, just start learning, start getting involved and jump in and you'll learn as you go. Absolutely. Well, I, found out when I took the job, I said, well, I have a lot of business skills to bring to the job. 
But they started throwing around terminology that I had never heard of, like light bunts and side bunts. And I thought, what on earth are they talking about? (laughs) But I was very fortunate because I had a vice president who, first of all, encouraged me to get involved in AFP, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, Mm -hmm. and sent me to a case conference, the Council for the Advancement and Support of Education. And so I just kind of soaked it all up and learned as I went. And also, we were working with a really good consultant, and he was kind of a mentor to mm-hmm. me. In fact, he mentored me even um, in that job, the next job. And after I started my consulting practice, he mentored me in that, too. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, that makes a huge difference, having mentors. Uh, I think having a mentor is absolutely essential if you want to succeed in this business. And and then as you get more maturity in the business to be a mentor for someone else. I yes. think that's really, I've mentored a number of people and I love mentoring as much as I enjoyed being mentored. Yes, same. It is important on both sides. I did a whole series a while back on mentoring oh. that I can link to in the notes. And it is vital, especially because things come up that are so specific to your situation or right. that you've never had to deal with before, or it's just a tangle that you can't Google and find an answer. Right. <laughs> so having that person to bounce ideas off of is so helpful. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about, we would like to talk today about the digging into the business community and how nonprofits can get started with this, with building relationships, with finding opportunities to find corporate support for their nonprofit. Well, I, this is one of my favorite topics because, like I said, that's how I got introduced to the nonprofit sector was by volunteering on their annual business appeal. And I found that over the years, a lot of people would talk to me about how do we get more support from our business community? And the only thing they really think about is corporate grants or maybe corporate sponsorship of some of their special events. And there's such a world out there that's unknown to them. And I developed something that I talk about in my book and in my course that I call the Willie Sutton theory. (laughs) And most people that I talk to in this field aren't old enough to even know who Willie Sutton was. And he was actually even before my time. (laughs) He was really back there, but I believe he was active in the 1930s. He was an infamous bank robber. And I'm intrigued. (laughs) Over over his career, he robbed hundreds of banks. And it was always reputed that a reporter once said to him, Willie, why do you keep robbing banks? And his answer was simply, because that's where the money is. (laughs) (laughs) And I found out later in my research for my book that that was probably an urban legend that he probably never said that, but it was always attributed to him. Makes a good story. And when I talk to nonprofits, I find the same thing happens. They, maybe they're sitting in a development committee meeting or a board meeting or something, and somebody raises the issue of, well, we want to be raising some money from the businesses in our community. So how can we do that? And the first thing that pops into mind is the big banks. You know, that's where the money is. And in in my case, I happen to live near Las Vegas, Nevada. So in my case, it's 
there's sometimes the banks, but often it's the casinos. That's where the money is, in the big casinos. And if you live in Silicon Valley, it's, well, let's go to the high-tech industry. And what people don't seem to realize is they get caught up in this Willie Sutton theory of thinking, you've got to go to the big corporations. That's where all the money is. And it's true that there is a lot of money in big corporations. I'm not saying ignore that. Don't go after it. But don't forget that there are small and medium-sized businesses in your community that also give. And in fact, in my research, I found the percentage given by all businesses is something like 13% of their uh, gross revenues, where the percentage of money given by Fortune 100 companies is 10% of their gross revenues. So yes, there's more gross revenues in the big companies, but when you look at it, only 5% of businesses in the United States are incorporated. The rest are LLCs, they're partnerships, they're sole proprietors. And we sometimes forget that some of those businesses are quite successful. And just some examples that I've run across it. If you've ever read the book, The Millionaire Next Door, it's a really worthwhile book. And he talks about the fact that, well, it's a two, two gentlemen that wrote it. And they talk about the fact that so many um, millionaires are not the people that are the presidents of the banks or the, you know, the people who own the big high tech companies or even the casinos. Yes, there certainly a lot of millionaires there, but a lot of millionaires are people who own businesses that you wouldn't think would be that successful, like paving companies, excavation, excavate, excavating, you can't say that word. And, um, I know one of my clients had a board member who owned three car washes. And I thought, well, you know, how much money do you make owning a car wash? Well, it turned out this woman made the biggest gift they had ever received and gave them a, a nice plan gift in addition to that. And I, I would have never thought somebody who owned car washes was a millionaire. You just don't think of that. So a lot of times we ignore people that we think are in kind of average businesses. And many times those businesses are very, very successful. So I've always encouraged people to look at some of the small and medium-sized businesses in your community and not always just the big banks or the big high-tech or the big casinos or whatever is the big industry in your community. Right. You know, I see a parallel with that with fundraising because some people just want to focus on big donors and major gifts right. or big grants, but mm -hmm. those small ones aren't to be ignored either because you never know which small ones will turn into big ones, but they're right. also your loyal supporters, the ones that continue year after year that you can build the relationship with that will talk to you, talk about you to their friends and their colleagues. So I think there's a lot of value in what you're saying in that perspective with corporations. And I see that the same way with donors and grants as well. Yeah, I think, and it's actually, when you look at individual donors, those statistics that I mentioned about the smaller companies giving a greater percentage is true also with individual giving. It's been proven that if you take, 
you know, people over a certain income level, and then people that you might even think of as poor give a larger percentage of their income to charity because the poor believe in helping the poor, I think. So I think it's true with individuals as well as it is with, with businesses too. So. Mm-hmm. so yeah, there is a lot of opportunity there and you don't know which businesses are going to grow over time right. too. And pretty soon they'll become a big business that is yeah, look still at supporting job started a business in his garage. <laughs> now, and Steve Wozniak, I mean, they're, they started a, very small business. And I know the community I lived in before, there was a person that owned, this sounds so ridiculous that probably people are going to think I'm crazy, but this man had a rag business. And I thought, who the heck buys rags? But apparently people own car washes and things like that Hmm. buy rags. And he took, you know, old pieces of cloth cut them up, made them into rags and sold them. And he was a millionaire. Wow. Rag business, you know, Wow. don't think that something like that is possible, but that's why you have to get out and know these business people and figure out what their businesses are really worth and what they are really worth as individuals. Because the other advantage of building relationships with businesses is it could lead to an individual gift from the business owner that is very significant too. So it helps your individual giving too. That's very true. And, you know, at the very least, you're probably going to meet some pretty creative, incredible people along the way. Absolutely. (laughs) That's interesting. So tell us, where would a nonprofit start? I mean, this is wonderful in theory. So now, practically speaking, (laughs) instead of this, this overwhelming, wow, yeah, okay, but there's a ton of businesses in my community. Where do I even start? Do you have some practical tips for that? I do. I I have something that I call the brainstorming form. And if anyone that's listening would like to get that form up, they can email me and I'll be happy to send it to them. But I would start with the people that your business already knows. And you might think, well, we don't know businesses. We don't have any business people on our board. But your board members all know businesses. They have doctors, they have attorneys, they have, they do dry cleaning, they go eat in restaurants, they buy furniture, they buy cars. And so this brainstorming form gives you some ideas to start with. A lot of organizations make the mistake of saying to their board members, well, give us 15 names. And nobody ever gives you 15 names. We all know that if we've ever tried it. But if you do this brainstorming exercise, and I suggest doing it as a group at a board meeting, where you talk about who your board members do know. And sometimes I think you'll be really surprised. I worked with one organization where we were doing this and their board members were all blue collar workers, um, great people. And there was a gentleman in their, well, a couple in their community. He owned a law firm, one of the biggest ones in that state. But he had a lot of money before he even had the law firm. He had family money. And I thought, boy, it would be great if somebody knows this person because we could approach the law firm or him as an individual. And But I can't imagine anybody on this board would know him. And when we did this brainstorming, it turned out 
The chair of the board who worked in a plastics factory came to meetings in her jeans and sweatshirt after work was a cousin to this attorney. And you could have just blew me away <laughs> when she said, oh, yeah, I can talk to him. He's my cousin. And I said, oh, <laughs> so your board members do know people and you might not think that. But also use that brainstorming form with your staff because your staff members also have doctors and buy cars and, you know, eat in restaurants and they know people that you might not think of either. So I would suggest doing it with your board, with your staff. And if you have a development committee or fundraising committee of volunteers, do it with them too, because you probably have a lot of connections and then, of course, there are vendors of the business of your organization, too. You have many businesses that you deal with, utility companies and maybe consultants and accountants and software companies and things like that. Right. So don't forget about your vendors. They certainly have a vested interest in your success. So right. that's another tool that you can start with. And then finally, the third thing I would suggest, and I think you should do all three of these things, by the way, but the third thing is to get out there where the business people are. And you're not going to find that at an AFP meeting or a grant professionals meeting or a United Way meeting. You're going to find them at the Chamber of Commerce, at the Rotary Club, at you know any type of service and professional organization. And I... I really am a strong believer in the Chamber of Commerce. When I was at the university, I was already active in the Chamber when I went to work there because I was active through the bank that I worked for. But when I started um, at the university and we were building this business appeal, I got so many volunteers to help me because I knew everybody at the Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I had a lot of connections and I had no trouble getting them involved as volunteers to help with our business appeal. So I think it's a combination of getting out there where the business people are and networking, uh, doing this brainstorming, and then looking at your vendors and see who your organization is already doing business with. I often say that nonprofits are usually sitting on a gold mine of resources that mm -hmm. they don't realize and haven't tapped into yet. And you just handed <laughs> us three gold nuggets <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that I bet nonprofits listening haven't fully explored yet. I, so these right. are great places to start that are just right in front of them where they probably already have relationships. So it's not like starting completely from scratch, you have that relationship to start with. Absolutely. What are your tips for approaching someone and how to start the conversation? Especially if someone kind of has this thought of, oh no, what do I say? I'm tongue tied, it's overwhelming, but really it's not, it doesn't have to be. So what would you suggest? Well, the first thing I think is important is to build those relationships so you're not going in there cold because nobody likes to go make a cold call. I mean, I've been in all sorts of sales before I was in development and making cold calls is not easy to do. Right. So if you do get involved in things like the Chamber of Commerce and you can hold cultivation events for businesses. Um, I had a, a one client, for example, it was a homeless shelter. And they hired me because they knew I worked a lot with 
business appeals and they wanted to approach their business community. And after I talked to them, I said, you know, I'm happy to do this, but you're not ready to go out and ask for money yet. People have got to know what you do. Because when I went in there, in my head, I was thinking that, and they actually had, it was the city or the county that they were in, homeless shelter, that was their title. And I said, my thought about a homeless shelter back in those days was that they provided a bed for the night for the homeless and maybe a meal. I I did not realize that they had um, a medical clinic, a dental clinic, an after-school program for homeless kids. And they had so many things that they were doing. But I said, the community, especially the business community, isn't aware of you. Maybe the church community is because they started the shelter of a group of churches in that community. So I said, let's do some cultivation activities first and get to know these people So we were fortunate enough to get a gentleman who was, he didn't own, but he was the chief operating officer of a major international manufacturing company was in that community. And we brought him in and took him for a tour. And when he saw the place, he was as amazed as I was when he saw what all they did. And he said, oh, I'd be happy to host this event for you. And we hosted a business leaders breakfast. We had it at 7.30 in the morning, told them they would be out of there by 8.30. And we were not going to ask them for money. We just wanted them to come in and see the shelter and see what we were doing. And we wanted some advice from them. And so we did. We had them in there at 7.30, served the continental breakfast. The host welcomed them. The executive director talked a little bit about their history and what their plans for the future were. And then they went on a tour of the shelter and the person who led the tour was a former shelter guest who now worked for the shelter, had his own apartment. He was dressed in a suit and tie, very professional looking. And he said, I used to sleep in that bed over there in the corner. And these people were just amazed. They said, Oh my gosh, this organization really does make a difference in the community. So when we did go out and raise money for them, there was no problem raising the money that they needed because everybody in the business community now knew what they actually did and how much they were saving tax dollars by by getting people off the street. So it was really successful. So that cultivation can be events like that or it can be one-on-one where maybe you just go to someone before you ask them for money and say, I'd like to pick your brain. I know your company is does a great job with marketing and we'd like to learn how to market our nonprofit a little bit better. Or I know you're really known for your technology expertise and we need some help in that. And you ask for advice first, the old adage that if you ask for money, sometimes you get advice. Most (laughs) of the time you get advice. Right. If you ask for advice, most of the time you'll end up getting money eventually. So you can meet with business leaders one-on-one just to get to know them, to ask for their advice in a certain area, whatever area that might be that is appropriate for your nonprofit. And you build that relationship over time and then you're ready to make the ask. Mm -hmm. But I think when you do make the ask, it's also important to think about what the business's goals are. And you might in your introductory 
cultivation activities, ask them, you know, what are the philanthropic interests of your business and what kind of organizations do you typically support and what are the goals that you hope to accomplish? Most businesses, they want to be in a community that has good education, good health care, good cultural opportunities. You know, it's a safe community. So whatever your organization is doing to help their employees and their customers, you can really pitch it to them as, you know, we, we save the community tax dollars or we improve the education in this community. And I know you want your employees and your customers to have a good education. So you talk to them about what their goals are and how they harmonize with the values that you have in your organization. I love that. And I love those examples because they're so practical. And even with grant writing, when I start working with a new client, if at all possible, I try to make a site visit at least once to get a feel for it because there's just something about being there and walking through the facility myself, seeing it hands-on, talking to the staff and volunteers, seeing literally how their process works, how it's set up. I mean, the videos and pictures are great if it's not feasible, but there's just something about that. So I could see where with what you're talking about, potential donors and corporate partners, that could really be impactful. And they're also seeing how this is potentially impacting the workforce, the local economy, job prospects, all those pieces as well from their business perspective and how they can have an impact on that as another piece of what we're doing to help them have that return on impact as opposed to investment, but they want to influence the community in that way. Right. I think that's very true. But also, I think we have to keep in mind that business businesses are still run by people. And so businesses are definitely interested in your economic impact on the community, but they also care about the social impact too. Absolutely. We can't forget that there are people that make these decisions. Yes. Most businesses, I know a lot of people say, well, they only care about the bottom line. And if it doesn't help them, they don't care. And I don't believe that's true. I really believe that there is such a thing as business philanthropy and I've seen people, I know once I was dealing with a, a dog rescue group and there was a, a man who owned a very large, probably the largest printing company in that community. And he was known as a real tough negotiator, hard as nails, you know. And I went to see him to talk to him about this uh, dog rescue group, but he was actually in tears over these dogs who needed oh. to be rescued. And I thought, wow, so much for his facade of being Mr. Tough as Nails business person. He cared about these animals deeply. And I thought, when I saw him in tears, I thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> so right. they are still people. Don't forget that. And right. a lot of Absolutely. times they're also interested in that social impact too. Yes, that's so true. I say that a lot with grants. There's a person on the other side of every grant you write. It's not an ATM machine. It's a person. And we need to write for the person. And that's the same way with these is getting to know them. And I think I love what you said about asking for advice, because I think that also shows a level of respect for them, that you value their opinion and their input and that you want that 
interest in your organization, not just for the sake of, hey, can you give me money? But I truly want your input because we want to be better. We want to improve. We want to grow. And asking for that help, I think, makes people feel good. Yeah. And I think businesses like to see that you are aware of those things, that you're not just another do-gooder organization and you're not thinking in practical terms. So they do like to see that, I think, and you can relate with it. Exactly. That's, yeah, it just comes back to what I hear more and more is just building those relationships and getting to know the people behind it for the people that they are, not for what can they do for us, but because they're truly worth knowing and they're valuable part of the community. And sometimes there's something that you as a nonprofit can do for them too. You know, if you're a, a drug and alcohol counseling center Almost every family is affected by this in one way or another. Somebody in their family or their friend circle for sure has some kind of an addiction. So maybe you offer to go and do some presentations for their employees on how to deal with if they have kids that are on drugs, you know, what help is available and how to to handle this, how to deal with it. If you're a health-related organization, you can go and make a presentation to their employees about you know, what to look for or the warning signs of cancer or you know, how to prevent a heart attack. or So there's oftentimes something that you can give them in return too. That is so true. That ties back to when I interviewed Bob Berg, the co-author of The Go-Giver, and he talks a lot about giving value and mm-hmm. giving to the other person. And what you're saying, how can your nonprofit give value to these corporate organizations, sponsors, whatever, to your local businesses, how can you share and serve them and build that relationship that way too? These are so good and so practical. I love these tips. And this has just been a wealth of information. Before we wrap up, I would love for you to share what resource has been especially meaningful to you along the way. Well, I think one of the things I mentioned, the Chamber of Commerce and I don't get paid by any national or local chamber of commerce to say this, but I just have found that that was always one tool that I use to develop relationships with business people. And when I went to the chamber, I would always have my business cards with me and I'd sit at tables where I got to see people I didn't already know. And I got involved. I worked on the chamber membership drive several years where we went out to see businesses who were not members of the chamber to try to get them to join. And of course, I always had my business card, which was from my nonprofit that I handed them when I walked in. And invariably, the conversation would not only encompass the chamber, but it would get around, well, what's going on over there right now? And, you know, at the university or at the museum or wherever I was working. And so it gave me an opportunity to meet people but also to gain the respect of the chamber members because I was doing something to help them. So to me, that's one of the resources that I think has really been helpful. And I hope that people will find my book and my course on raise more money from your business community. That's a title of both a book and a course that I have produced. I hope they will find that as a helpful resource too. Mm-hmm. I'll be sure to link to both of those. Do you mm-hmm. want to tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, the book is, um, I have republished it. I started out with 
a book and a workbook, but then I sort of combined them into one. So it, the, it gives you things like this brainstorming form are included in there and worksheets on how to develop a list of your vendors and who should go and approach those people and getting people involved in running an annual business appeal. The course is, um, I believe it's six lessons. I, I, I have I have 15 different courses, so it's hard <laughs> to remember how long all of them are, but they're all approved for CFRE credit. So if uh-huh. you have anyone who is thinking about getting their CFRE or already has one and needs points to renew, um, all my courses are approved for CFRE credit. And that covers all these things. Like one lesson is all about running cultivation events and activities. And one lesson is about running an annual appeal. And one lesson is about finding people to begin with and getting your board and, and staff and development committee and other volunteers involved. So it's it covers everything we're talking about in about six, it's either six or eight hours. I forget how many. Sure. Sounds like a great tool to work through as a team or with your board to go through some of these things that you've talked about today. Right. And that's my purpose is trying to help people learn. I We were chatting a little bit before about lifelong learning and how important it is. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love having those resources and sharing those with others because it is so important. And when you can learn together as a team, you have that shared experience and kind of speak that common language then to be able to plan and brainstorm and grow together through what you've learned. Yes, that's a good point. I like that. All right. Well, where can people connect with you online if they want to follow along and learn more? Okay. Well, the easiest thing is to go to my website, which is lindalizakowski.com. So all you have to do is remember how to spell Lizakowski. <laughs> which I will link to in the show notes as well. <laughs> and then my email is Linda at lindalizakowski.com. And I always answer emails. So if anyone has um, a question, they can feel free to email me. I also am on LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, oh, I forget there's a couple other social media that I'm active on. I sometimes have a hard time keeping up with social media. So emailing is usually the best way to reach me if you want a quick answer. Okay, perfect. We will look you up. All right. Well, thank you. This has been such a fantastic wealth of information and so practical and encouraging. I appreciate you sharing with us. Thank you. It was great to be here. All right, what did you think? Didn't she have so many good takeaways? I was just listening back and blown away at her wealth of knowledge and all the strategies she shared. So I would love to hear from you which ones you are going to implement right away. A lot of these are so practical and so doable. I would love to hear. Come let me know on LinkedIn or shoot me a message on my contact form. And let's keep the conversation going because I want to know how I can continue bringing in high quality guests like this to help you. But I want to make sure it's relevant for the questions you have and to help provide the support you need. So let me know. All right. If you are wondering about grant writing as a career, hop over and take my quiz. Do you have what it takes to be a grant writer at TeresaHuff.com slash quiz. 
And if this was helpful for you, please share it with a friend so we can provide all the resources and support possible for nonprofits. All right, friends, have a great week and go change your world.